American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Welcome to another episode of American, American Timelines. Lines. I'm Amy and that's Joe. We are a pair of jokers. All right. This is episode 176 of American Timelines. We still doing this. We still out here in these streets. Yes. As TBJ says. For the time being. Yeah. For the time being, we're still out here in these streets. Amy is back for her best story of 1954. Yes, it is. I would say it is. This is a good one, right? Yes. You're going to wow me. You're going to knock everyone's socks off. Let's just say it might be a little familiar to you. Oh, Oh, I wonder what that means. I don't know what that means, but I will tell you that. So we're going to cover two months. So we got to jump into the time for Dilly Dally. I don't have time for two months. Well, this is June and July. So I didn't. I'm just doing the highlights. I'm not covering every little stupid thing. Doing a light frosting. Just going to focus on birthdays. Okay. Since everyone loves birthdays. No, please don't. And hit it, Matt Trubini. We're going to jump right into June 1954 with a birthday. Amy. Amy hates birthdays. 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 Amy a homemaker, a house cleaner, and Charles Whitney Haysbert Sr., a deputy sheriff and airline security guard. No, I don't know who nine this children. is. An all-state security representative. No, no, he's all-state insurance. Why are we talking about it? Somebody who's an all-state he's an insurance. <laughs> he's not a salesman. He's an insurance. He's on the insurance, all-state insurance commercials. But why? And he's do an American actor. He's a great actor. That? He's one of the best actors. He's the son of Gladys, who was a homemaker. All right. And who, Charles Whitney Haysbert Sr., a deputy sheriff and airline security guard. That was his dad. He's the eighth of ninth children. You can't guess who it is. Having two sisters and six brothers. His parents were from Louisiana. Haysbert was raised Baptist. Dennis Haysbert graduated from San Mateo High School in 1972. Team colors are orange and black, home of the Bearcats. Notable alumni include Merv Griffin, this Alicia Silverstone, and Chris Christofferson. You don't know who De- Dennis Haysbert is? It's, I'm just drawing a blank right now. Dennis Haysbert. I said his name. Like You don't even have to guess his name. You can just say Dennis Haysbert again, and you're right. You don't know who, who Dennis is he? Haysbert? Who is he? The Allstate guy. He's the guy from 24. Oh, the, the president. Yeah, from the president from 24. Yeah, now I get it. After, I don't watch commercials, so it, oh, that just didn't help. He's been on forever. After high school, being six foot five inches tall, he was offered an athletic scholarship, but instead he chose to study acting at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. How about that? All righty. Now you know more about Dennis Haysburg. I sure do. And then we're going to jump all the way to June 6th, where we got to play another birthday theme song. And this one All? you like. <laughs> I wanted you to say both. <laughs> both up front. This is a playwright. 
this better be your other one. So right now I want you to browse through the ones that you have left <laughs> and pick your favorite because this is it. No, this is the only other birthday you get this episode. No, that's not. Yes. We got two months. I got more birthdays. No, but this one is you're going to listen. No, you will give me you'll grant me a wish for more birthdays because why this one is going to be one you're a fan of. He's a playwright born in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, New York City, the son of Jacqueline Harriet, a school librarian and Irving Firestein. Harvey uh, Firestein, a, a handkerchief manufacturer. Yes, his father was a handkerchief manufacturer. He was raised Jewish, but later rejected the faith and became an atheist. He attended high school, the high school of art and design. Team colors blue and gold. Notable alumni include Tony Bennett and Larry Hama, creator of GI Joe, and Fire Harvey Firestein. Went to school with all those guys. Can you believe it? I can't. He received a BFA from the Pratt Institute in 1973. Uh, God, do we have any listeners anymore? He began working in the theater as a founding member of the Gallery Players of Park Slope before being cast in Andy Warhol's only play. I don't know why anyone Pork. wants to into this. Harvey Firestein, you don't care about his high school days? No. <laughs> How about this? Notable what? thing about Harvey Firestein, you've always wanted to know. His signature gravelly voice mm-hmm. is a result of an overdeveloped vestibular fold in his vocal cords. Oh, essentially giving him a double voice when he speaks. Really? I thought he was just a heavy smoker. Nope. And prior to puberty, Firestein was a soprano in a professional boy's ah. choir. He was a soprano. <laughs> no kidding. And then he, now he talks like, you yes. know, that's pretty <laughs> uh, funny. Now, you know that you can right. tell people that he's got a vestibular fold. Man, I'm into vestibular fold. I, I don't know. Him. I don't want to talk about it. I want to bang his vestibular fold. And then June 14th. 1954 a historical moment when the phrase under god became a part of the pledge of allegiance because right. it wasn't because it wasn't it wasn't before all you people like you think it's right there the pledge of allegiance yeah, yeah it wasn't all, under god until 1954 uh and its adoption was largely due to pressure from the knights of columbus and nationwide concerns about godless communism i was just gonna say that yep. communism godless communism yep and that's what they're trying to gin up again they're trying to what up? They're trying to gin up communism. What's the verb you're saying? Gin or gin? Gin, gin up. What does that mean? How does G-I-N or J-I-N? I don't know. You're putting me on the spot now. I'm sorry. I just haven't heard that before. You've never heard anybody say somebody's going to gin something up? <laughs> no. Oh. I like the cut of your jib. I've heard that. I don't know how it's spelled, but they're going to. I don't even know what I was saying anymore. Okay. Well, I'll just move on to June 17th, a couple days later. It's um, better not be a fucking birthday. Well, what this is, is actually uh, a, a woman named Joan Sparks, who was a dancer. Yeah. Had fallen in love with a guy named Will, William Nelson Baker, co-founder of the No, Open this is Stage a birthday. This gave, is a fucking birthday. <laughs> he gave birth to Mark Lynn Baker on June 17th. Mark Lynn Baker, you got to admit, that's worth talking. I don't about. even know who that is. American actor from Perfect Strangers, Mark Lynn Baker. No, he was born with the given names Mark Lynn and the surname Baker in St. Louis, Missouri, your hometown. You should know this guy. But he later changed his surname to a compound surname by hyphenating his middle name Lynn with a surname Baker, being Mark Lynn Baker. Cousin Larry, he played. Is it my turn yet? Because <laughs> you're abusing me right now. This no. is a this is abuse. And it's racism. <laughs> because I talk about Marklin Baker. Because you're not, you're going on and on about birthdays. Well, Marklin Baker graduated from Weathers 
Field High School in Weathersfield, Connecticut. They're navy blue. And We're white, done talking about Eagles, Marco and Baker. Uh, and he graduated in 1972. And notable alumni include Betsy Johnson, a fashion designer. What are you, racist? You don't want to talk about fashion designers? Okay, how about this? This is a good one. This is a historical moment. It's not a birthday. June 18th, 1954. Yeah. I had no idea this happened. Okay. And this is going to make you feel bad oh. about your country. Well, as if, not as if most things don't. Already. Hard. Yeah. Uh, on June 18th of 1954, the United Fruit Company, have you ever heard of that? No. They're now known as Chiquita. Okay. It was originally called the United Fruit Company, the UFC. Uh, they asked... I can't believe this has happened. Chiquita basically asked the U.S. government to act militarily against the Guatemalan government uh, when, under a new law, some of its unused farmland in Guatemala was going to be given to peasants. <gasps> this led to the CIA assisting in deposing Guatemala's president oh my in 1954 God. just so this company could Evil. continue making fruit. Evil. Um, this was the 1954 Guatemalan coup d'etat, uh, codenamed Operation PBS Success. PB Success was a covert operation carried out at the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency. They deposed Guatemalan President Jacobo Arbenz and ended the Guatemalan Revolution of 1954 to 54, 44 to 54. And they installed the military dictatorship of Carlos Castillo Armas. Why did they put in a the military first, dictatorship? First in a series of U.S. backed author. Authoritarian, authoritarian rulers yeah. in Guatemala. Jesus. So the basic gist of it is that they want money from the bananas. Well, yeah. So they but put they, in a military ruler. Well, the reason the CIA went along with it is because they were afraid of the spread of communism. They were like giving, yeah, giving away all this land to that's so that's too communism. much like communism. And but it was like this all the people elected the guy they deposed yeah it was dem- all the democracy. guatemalan people it was a democracy they mm-hmm. they elected this guy and they got rid of him just for an american business and to to do that in the name of mm. defeating communism it's really really terrible yeah um, it is terrible yeah the the ufc had been a highly profitable business was affected by the end to exploitative labor practices in Guatemala. That's the other thing. They, there's yeah. all these exploitative, la- you know, they were using all these people, but they, once they elected the people elected this guy, they, they were going to get rid of the exploitative labor pro- practices. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they engaged in an influential lobbying campaign to persuade the U S to overthrow the Guatemalan government. U S president, Harry Truman authorized operation PB fortune, to topple our bends in 1952. And that operation was quickly aborted and they did the new one called PB, PB Success. Um, and Eisenhower had ran on this whole thing, this whole promise to make it, take a harder line against communism. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, I think so. Yeah. So they did, you know, they did these like, campaigns to kind of like give false information about communism to fill everybody with fear mm-hmm. and uh they try to criticize and isolate guatemala internationally with other people saying they're awful and terrible that tons of psychological warfare uh in guatemala including a radio station which broadcast anti-government propaganda 
and a version of military events favorable to the rebellion, claiming to be genuine news, as well as air bombings of Guatemala City and a naval blockade. Uh, God, it, it's just amazing how much energy and money and time and genius goes into destroying other people's lives. Isn't it terrible just for our success? And we're looked at as this great free country. And oh, it's just terrible. Well, it's like we're kind of colonizers in a way. Oh, in a, that's what we are. Yeah. I mean, completely. But we just like gloss it over and, and lie mm-hmm. about it and just mm-hmm. cover up the truth. Um. So it was described as a definitive death blow, death blow to democracy in Guatemala. The coup was widely criticized internationally and strengthened the long lasting anti-U.S. sentiment in Latin America. Mm. Um, Castillo Armas quickly assumed who took over the guy they put in charge quickly assumed dictatorial powers, banning opposition parties, imprisoning and torturing political opponents and reversing the social reforms of the revolution. Nearly four decades of civil war followed. As leftist guerrillas fought the series of U.S.-backed authoritarian regimes whose brutalities included a genocide of the Maya people. Mm. So, also, we can have bananas. Jesus. Next time you eat your banana. And then on June 19th, 1954, another crazy thing that happened. Lester Calloway Hunt Sr. Have you ever heard of this guy? No. He's a Democratic senator. Yeah. He committed suicide at his desk on Capitol Hill. He did? After being blackmailed for his son's homosexuality. Oh, God. Yes. Jesus Christ. Yep. Earlier on June 9th, or the year before of 1953, his 24-year-old son, Lester Jr., known as Buddy, who was a student and president of the student body at the Episcopal Theological School uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, was arrested in D.C. for soliciting prostitution from a male undercover police officer in Lafayette Square just north of and adjacent to the White House property. It was his first offense, which police normally handled quietly as a matter of the offender's family to, uh, as a matter for the offender's family to address. Right. But the arrest became known to Senate Republicans. And according to Drew Pearson's Washington merry-go-round column published after Hunt's death, Senator Stiles, Bridges, and Herman Welker threatened that if Hunt, a Democrat, did not immediately retire from the Senate, and agree not to seek his seat in the 1954 election, they would see that his son was prosecuted and would widely publicize his son's arrest. Evil. Yep. And so that led to And then to he him killed himself because himself, of that. Yeah, basically. Oh, my God. Uh, because of the embarrassment. Lordy, wonderful lordy, place. Lordy. <laughs> I'm so glad. Lordy, lordy, yeah. lordy. Um, there were some you know notes he left some notes and there was some talk of they tried to say oh he just committed suicide because of a health issue but yeah the real truth according to pearson was it was because of the yeah shame of of his son that same day on june 19th the tasmanian devil debuts in devil may hair cartoon by warner brothers so that's a good thing right Mm -hmm. balance it with good stuff cleanse a little palate cleanser a little palate and I just want to give you like just a feel of what June 1954 was like. Okay. In America. Uh, the temperature in Overton, Nevada was a state record of 122 degrees Fahrenheit that June 23rd. Mm-hmm. June 28th of 1954, 
It was 111 degrees Oof. in Camden, South Carolina, a state record. Holy shit. It was a hot summer. Wow. And also on June 28th, archaeologists excavating an 8th century Viking settlement in Sweden. Mm-hmm. They found a Buddha statuette from India. Oh, wow. So how did that happen? It confused a lot of people because the Vikings never traveled to India yeah. from what they thought. Hmm. Um, it's known as Helgo Budan, the Helgo, the Helgo Buddha, named after the old Norse market village Helgo, where it was found. Today, it can be seen in the Swedish History Museum in Stockholm. According to Colleen Ann Coyle, PhD an arch- of archaeology and University of Chicago, and Arkaprava Ar- Sangupta, MA of History in 2019 on Quora.com, it's one of the most mysterious artifacts found amongst the Old Norse, as they had never had any contact with Indians. In fact, they would go uh, as far as to say the Old Norse never even encountered any Buddhists. Suffice it to say, the statue was not grabbed by Vikings in India. Rather, it's much more likely that the statue made it onto the Silk Road into Europe, oh. where it was then stolen by a Viking yeah. who brought it back home, where it eventually landed in the Helgo Market. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, mystery solved mystery solved there we go yep um that was cool and that brings us to july we're gonna flip the calendar from june to july of 1954 and that's gonna bring us to july 3rd yeah where you have something for us oh shit started on july 3rd the night of saturday july 3rd i think oh shit and it's time for you to take over i'm gonna drink by hop slam by bell because it's january I mean, oh, it's February, and That's Hop February. Slam is out. This, you know what? Actually, this is an anniversary. Oh, this God. week might be the anniversary we of us. We gotta hear about Hop Slam for. Uh, well, no, Hop Slam always reminds me. This is when we started recording our podcast. Really? It was 2018 of February of 2018. Yeah, it was before the pandemic. That's crazy. I this feel like the fourth... don't you feel like the pandemic's been forever? It it does. I don't. I feel like. Like, I don't remember life before the pandemic. Yeah, anymore. it's in my head. It's still 2019. Yeah. Like we dropped everything and it's like suddenly it's three years later. Yeah, and People aren't they're different. Like everybody's yeah. in a different place. And yeah, it's weird. The okay. world isn't. I don't know how the world works. Anyway, this is our fourth anniversary. Yes. Of podcasting. Oh. And we're still doing it kind of. Reunited <laughs> and it feels so, so good. good. Okay. Oh, man, I love you. All You're right. a good woman. I love you too, babe. All right. Sorry, I was talking to a dog. <sighs> I'm going to talk about though. Sam Shepard, famous neurosurgeon. Wait, not Sam. Isn't Sam Shepard a playwright? That's a different spelling. Oh. So in the early hours of July 4th, 1954, the wife of a respected neurosurgeon was bludgeoned to death. Ooh. The first person to find her body was her husband, Dr. Sam Shepard, whose spotty alibi quickly made him the prime suspect in her murder. Ooh, it's always the husband. I don't know if anybody's heard me say this before. Um, I'm an expert now yeah. on murders. I kind of we kind of are, right? I don't know. Expert. We're kind of experts. And uh, <laughs> it's always the husband. Like, uh, it's always the significant other. All right. The a media blitz and public witch hunt followed. Of course. The court even called the case an absolute carnival. Absolute fucking carnival, they say nowadays. So 
Sam Shepard lived with his wife, Marilyn Reese Shepard, and a seven-year-old son, Sam Reese Chip Shepard. Oh, Chip. They called juniors chips because they're chip off the old block. That's right. On a fashionable lakefront property in Bay Village, Ohio. Oh, Bay Village. I don't know where that is. On the night in question, the Shepherds had hosted neighbors for a movie, and the neurosurgeon shortly afterward fell asleep on a daybed downstairs. Wait, 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 wait. A home movie? Yeah, I guess. Because they didn't have movies at home at that time, did they? I, I don't know. That's what they just said. They hosted them for a movie. It was on TV, probably. Hmm. I don't know if they Something had that was on, on TV. TV. Maybe it was a. Yeah, they had Should movies I, on TV. Let me look up what was on TV that day. Go or for not. it. It was July 3rd. Yeah. Is that what I said? That's what July I said. July 4th. I had July 3rd and then it happened. But well, let's see if there's any TV movies on. Stage show was on July 3rd. July 4th. It was the 4th of July. They wouldn't be watching the movies, would they? I don't know. Goodyear TV Playhouse had a show on from 9 to 10. Maybe that was it. Is that what time it was? Or do you not? No, no. No, didn't know. Suitable for framing was the show. Okay, so okay. No. Um, so they had hosted neighbors for a movie, and then after the neighbors left, uh, Sam Shepard fell asleep on a daybed downstairs. Okay. His wife saw the neighbors out, put their son to bed, and went upstairs to sleep herself. So I guess he actually went to sleep before the neighbors had left. Okay. He was tired. The neighbors tired. were still watching the movie. Yep, that's right. It was probably a home movie, I would guess. Could be. After an exhausting day at the emergency room, Shepard was startled awake by the sound of his wife's screams. He, he rushed upstairs to the bedroom to find a white form bent over his barely conscious wife. The next thing Shepard knew, he too was unconscious. Wait, is it a ghost? I don't think a so. A white form? That's just how he described it. Okay. Sometime later, when Shepard came to, he heard the intruder downstairs. So he confronted the intruder who was tall about six feet and with bushy hair shepherd chased the intruder outside and down to the beach where he was knocked unconscious again oh man this guy's kicking this dude's ass and so then the next time he regained consciousness he was shirtless and partially submerged in the lake but he was he was yes that's when he woke up he he didn't have a shirt on and he was partially submerged in the lake he returned to his house and checked in on his seven-year-old son who had miraculously slept through the whole commotion what he called spencer hauk kids will sleep through anything he called spencer hauk his neighbor and the mayor of bay village at about 5 40 a.m that okay right away let me pause a second and just think if you're the mayor is your neighbor yeah i don't think you're gonna try to murder anybody at your house if the mayor's next door i don't know people are afraid of mayors well, the police were not notified until after the mayor arrived at the murder scene with his own wife. Police didn't arrive until after the mayor was there. They weren't notified. Until oh, I... notified. The mayor and his wife came up because you're going to assume that's basically the law. It's the mayor. I'm afraid of mayors. <laughs> I have a mayor phobia. So Marilyn, age 30, was and pregnant. That's the wife. Mayor's wife. No, that's Sam oh, that's Shepard's her, wife. His wife. Oh, yeah, who's dead now. She's on her bed, her face unrecognizable from the severe trauma to her head. Oh, no. Her pajama top was pulled up, revealing her breasts, while her pajama oh. bottoms had been pulled down to her ankles, with one completely removed from her leg. Oh. Right. The first police officers arrived four minutes after the mayor. Okay. They initially assumed a robbery had gone wrong. Shortly after, Dr. Shepard's brother arrived, and they went to the hospital together to see to his head injuries, because okay. he had some head injuries. Okay. 
At 8 a.m., Cuyahoga County Coroner Sam Gerber arrived at the crime scene, and he thought it looked staged. Sam Gerber don't fuck around. Especially because it appeared to be no sign of forced entry. Okay. No murder weapon was found, though a trail of blood from the weapon was found going from the bedroom downstairs and then to the front porch but as didn't, it was carried out of the house. In those days in the 50s, people didn't lock their doors, though, did they? That's what I, that's kind of what I think, too. Like, nobody locked their doors. Like I got. Right. Outside in a bush. Yeah, bush. He found a canvas bag with Shepard's bloodstained wristwatch, fraternity ring, and key. Gerber surmised that from this, that a robbery had been staged to hide a domestic murder. Yeah, because what was in the bag? His fraternity His ring and what else? Wristwatch, fraternity oh, ring, wristwatch. and key. So maybe the watch was expensive. In those days. Right. He figured Marilyn was killed sometime between 3 and 4 in the morning as, as her watch was stopped at 3.15 a.m. An hour later, he headed to the hospital to interview the neurosurgeon. Gerber felt that Shepard's encounter with the bushy-haired intruder and his head injuries... You're saying bushy-haired with quotes. quotes, Yeah. Bushy-haired guy we know doesn't exist. I'm not saying that. That's what kind of what this guy's saying. And um, he, he felt that it sounded fabricated. Okay. Further, he sensed no remorse in Shepard's statement. Really? And then Shepard refused to undergo questioning from police as the days passed and claimed this was on his doctor's orders, but his doctor was his brother. So, you know, I don't know if that proves anything. This evasiveness spelled a precarious situation for Shepard. Yeah. By the end of the first day of the investigation, rumors of Shepard's infidelity hit the press Uh alongside details of his wife's murder. Now it all comes out. It all starts leaking out. Two weeks after Marilyn's death, a front page editorial in the Cleveland press demanded a public inquest. Gerber, which was the coroner, responded to the demand and subpoenaed Shepard and his family to attend an inquest held in a local high school that evening. A media circus unfolded. Oh, man, I bet there was a media circus. For three evenings, witnesses were interrogated about Shepard's character and his marriage. Shepard was grilled about an alleged affair with a beautiful former lab technician named Susan Hayes. Oh, lab technicians are hot, man. Shepard denied the affair, but it was a lie that would later have serious consequences. Fucking liar. A week after the inquest had finished, the Cleveland press demanded that Shepard be forced to admit to the crime. Yet again, Gerber responded to the press and had Shepard arrested and officially charged with his wife's murder. It's funny that the press could demand that. I know. Inquests are weird. Yeah. On October 18th, 1954. Oh, the same day that on I Love Lucy, uh, Lucy Cries Wolf. Uh, oh, where's the. Where's the Lucy? Oh, Lucy fakes a crisis to test Ricky's love for her. Yes. That same day. That same day. Uh, Sam Shepard was put on trial. The presiding judge was 70 year old Edward Blythen. Press from around the country were in attendance, including celebrity journalist Dorothy Kilgallen. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. She was murdered, she right? She was murdered. Wait a she minute. wrote about each day of the trial in her national column. Aren't you impressed that I remember that she was that murdered? That is crazy that you remember that. Because we're going, she was murdered in the 60s. Must have been because we're yeah, doing the 50s. That's now. right. Yeah, she's wearing in the 60s. And we did the 60s before this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She crazy. Was, I can't believe I remember that. I know. I'm listening crazy. to you. Wow. I care about you. I'm impressed. So the All first right. day of the trial started with a press tour of Shepard's home to see the crime scene while Shepard was hauled around in handcuffs. Wait, was that the only thing that was familiar? Yeah. The the door of the kill gallon bit? Yeah. That's, no, no, there's something else that um, well, the whole story, I think, is going to sound familiar to you. What, is it to me or to the, our listeners? 
to you, maybe. Oh, okay. Okay. So the first day of the trial started with a press tour of Shepard's home. And, okay. And they had Shepard there. A press tour of his home? Like, they, they're well, bringing everybody yeah. out just like... And he was hauled around in handcuffs in at the crime scene. At the crime scene, yeah. And is this like to for everybody to make your own conclusions or to give know. us I, give I, us your best idea as to what you think happened or what's the? I don't know. Then back in the courtroom, the prosecution showed the jury a slideshow of grisly photographs of Marilyn's autopsy. Ugh. I don't know why they'd have to see her autopsy. Shepard was denied think... being excused from the court during the slideshow when he requested it, so he had to sit there and watch. Uh, I feel like. Ugh. I kind of feel like everything that happened in the 50s <laughs> in this time, you know, anything that long ago. Yeah. Nobody knew how to work. I guess generally psychologically, nobody understood ramifications of anything. Right. Like they didn't think about the psychological ramifications of seeing shit like that. Or it seems like everything you did, nobody thought about how this affects everyone. Well, they still don't. People yeah. don't think of the, about how that affects everyone. I think they do now. No. Like now they'll at least say, there's a warning. This could be graphic or maybe you sh sensitive yeah, people shouldn't. If you're on that. a jury, you can't. You have to do it. You really? See what they show you. Don't they have to test you to see if you're a sensitive weirdo Probably. or something? Probably. All right. All right. All right. So anyway, um, then Shepard's guilt seemed certain when Sam Gerber confidently asserted that a supposed bloody outline on the victim's bed was from a multi-pronged surgical instrument that only a doctor like Shepard could have possibly acquired. Ooh. Though no murder weapon was ever even found, Shepard's attorney was denied access to the physical evidence and therefore could not effectively cross-examine Gerber about it. So they didn't give the defense attorney well, that they were going to exit. They were going to call the coroner up and do that. I don't get what you just said. Why didn't they let them do that? So the defense has to get the defense has to get all the information. It's called discovery, where you get all the okay. information that the other side has. Okay. And this surgical instrument yeah. little bit that the coroner comes up with here. Yeah. The defense was never made aware that that was part of the they case. They didn't know that was going to come out. Of the right. So they, so they prepare their defense. Yeah, they couldn't cross-examine gotcha. him. See, I'm a dumb guy, so sometimes you gotta slow it down. I and mean, I'm, they could cross-examine him, but not effectively because they didn't couldn't have prepared. They weren't ready for it, so they're like, right. oh, how do we explain that? So Sam was the doctor. I was thinking the Sam wife. is the shepherd. Is the they're both Sam, so that makes it kind of crazy. Sam Gerber is the coroner. Oh, Sam right. Shepherd is the neurosurgeon that murdered. But he's a neurosurgeon. I was thinking for some reason I, I was. I thought the wife was a doctor. No. A, okay. So then the prosecution's final witness was Susan Hayes, the young lab technician who's oh, the super had hot one that was. With. Yeah. To Shepard's dismay, Hayes said it was true. Under pressure. What Shepherd, was true, the affair? Yeah. So then under pressure, Shepard broke down when he took the stand and also admitted to the affair. Oh, man. Then in his defense, Corrigan produced three witnesses who testified to seeing the bushy-haired intruder Shepard had described in the vicinity of the home around the time of the murder. Oh, really? People saw the bushy-haired yeah. assailant? Three people did. The Bay Village police even made a sketch of the intruder from an eyewitness who drove past Shepard's home at 3.50 a.m. Even so, after five days of deliberation, the jury found Shepard guilty of second-degree murder. Wow, what about the bushy-haired mm. intruder? I the think the, the jury did not believe the crime was premeditated, so Shepard was spared a first-degree murder charge and therefore oh, a death sentence. They think it was more of a spur-of-the-moment thing? Yeah. So if you're a bushy-haired intruder, <laughs> yeah. 
couldn't you wait, make like, me it's a john serpinski or something <laughs> that's what i pictured too yeah. he's a friend of ours john serpinski he's a longtime listener now he was a guest once but if you're a bushy say you're a bushy-haired intruder yeah and you just go through your life you know uh, you're a bushy-haired intruder i'm i'm bushy-haired intruder. or are you a bush-haired intruder you just have a lot of bush hair a lot of bush hair i think this is a bushy-haired but wouldn't you think like, hey, I'm a bushy haired intruder. Everybody's going to recognize me because with my bushy hair, if he got a haircut, he would we know he wouldn't be the bushy haired intruder. Right. Mm-hmm. So what would he be? I, I don't follow you. If he wasn't the bushy haired intruder, maybe he would be the uh, unusually large mole intruder or he'd be the he'd be some other characteristic you're trying to say yeah the gross weird scrotum intruder uh, <laughs> like, whatever so then i don't know what I'm um he about. received life in prison with the possibility of parole in a decade so that's that's weird so in 10 years that. 10 years maybe we'll figure out yeah two yeah. weeks after the verdict shepherd's mother committed suicide oh my god followed by the death of his father from a hemorrhaging ulcer just one week later uh, ulcers are caused by stress so. shepherd was allowed to attend the funeral in handcuffs for the next seven years, Shepard fought his ruling from a maximum security prison near Columbus. Okay. Despite the toll his case had taken on the family, Shepard's two. I know. I know. What? I know who this is. You do? This is Andy Dufresne, isn't it? Nope. Shawshank guy? Nope. No? Nope. Damn. Oh, is it? Is it uh, Harrison Ford? Yes! The fugitive? Yes, 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 yes. Despite the toll his oh, case had okay. taken on the family, Shepard's tw- two brothers rallied around him. They hired a forensic scientist, Dr. Paul Leland Kirk, to review the state's physical evidence. Okay. When Kirk examined the blood splatter on the walls, he found one part of the wall was devoid of blood. This, he concluded, proved that the killer would have been covered in blood. But Shepard had only one large spot of blood on his trousers. Mm. Kirk also determined that some blood spots were from the backswing of the murder weapon, which showed clearly that it had been wielded from a left-handed person. But Ah, Shepard was right-handed. Left-handed guy, yes. Furthermore, broken pieces of Marilyn's teeth were found underneath Ugh. her body. Ugh. Her teeth had been broken out, not in, which was evidence that Marilyn had bit her assailant. Yeah. When Shepard has had been examined at the hospital, no bite marks or open wounds were discovered on his body. Oh. But when Corrigan presented this new evidence to Judge Blythen for a retrial, the judge rejected the appeal. Corrigan took the matter all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, but was denied a retrial. Oh, fuck. Then Corrigan died five years later, and that chance of retrial kind of died with him. What? Shepard's best course of action appeared to be to take a lie detector test in the hope of reducing his life sentence. Yeah. Luckily. Does he he break out like in the fugitive? Well, it doesn't. Oh. It's not like completely. Oh, okay. I'm just waiting for the action. Now I'm on this guy's side. Now I know it's Harrison Ford. Luckily, a polygraph expert from Boston named F. Lee Bailey F. Lee Bailey y'all. was interested in Shepard's case. Okay. Bailey took Shepard's case to the Supreme Court. Okay. He claimed that the doctor's constitutional right to a fair trial had been violated. Shepard got a retrial in front of Judge Carl Weinman, who Bailey described as the best thing that happened to Sam Shepard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> while Sorry, Weinman, we're laughing about our dog is doing something ridiculous. While Weinman reviewed the entire trial record, yeah. a valuable piece of information fell into Bailey's lap. In March 1964, yeah. Dorothy Kilgallen, 
who had written a daily column on Shepard's first trial, recalled and who would be later murdered that Judge Blythen had told her before the trial even began that yeah. Shepard was guilty as hell and the trial was a mere formality. So he made up his mind. Yeah, that's not OK. You this, can't do that. this disposition helped Judge Weinman to declare a mistrial. Okay. He noted that the press coverage had been calculated to inflame and prejudice. Then on November 16th, 1966. Oh, the same day that on Gomer Pyle, USMC, Mm -hmm. uh, Gomer and Sergeant Carter find themselves engaged to the same married woman that same day. Yes. Um, Sam, after a decade in prison, 40 year old Sam Shepard was released. Oh, he was. He was 40 at this point. Yep. One week later, he was married to a German woman from Dusseldorf named Adrian Tabin Johans. Wait a minute. He was married a week after he got out. Yes. So she must have been one she, of these prisons. She had corresponded with him in prison. Ah, uh, his prison corresponders. She They're would so add, weird. prove to add her own small bit of controversy to Shepard's case when it was discovered that her half sister had been the wife of Joseph Goebbels, Adolf Hitler's propaganda minister. What? Right. The fuck? <laughs> what? Yeah, that's a weird turn. Yeah, I don't remember that in the fugitive. The acquittal was a hollow victory for Shepard with the conviction overturned. Shepard had his medical license reinstated, but soon after he faced malpractice suits after two of his patients died while in surgery. What? Shepard's second wife divorced him and Shepard entered a downward spiral of depression and alcoholism. Oh, he got through all that and now he's yeah. drunk. He entered professional boxing for a while, excuse me, <laughs> What? where he <laughs> met his third wife, the 19-year-old daughter of his wrestling coach. Oh, that's weird. Yep. He became a boxer? I didn't know that. On uh, April 6th, 1970. Oh, the same day that on uh, Mayberry RFD. Uh, Millie, the secretary, is enrolled in the Bradbury Business College to hone her secretarial skills and get a better job. Yes. <laughs> he died from liver failure. Dr. Sam oh, Shepard no. was just 46. His son, Sam Jr., then was determined to restore his father's reputation and find his mother's real killer. Okay. He discovered that a mentally disturbed man named Richard Eberling frequently washed his parents' With windows bushy hair. and was serving time for killing an elderly woman. Oh, no. So, so he was suspicious. So he went to meet Eberling. Yeah. And Eberling denied killing Marilyn, but he did draw an obsessively detailed map of their home. Oh, no. And even included what? a little known entrance into the basement that wasn't even present in the police sketch. Wait, why would he draw that? I don't know. <laughs> he was trying to. I don't know. I didn't do it, I swear, but. Let me just draw a map of your home. Right. What? Sam, that doesn't make any sense. So then Sam Jr. approached Cleveland attorney Terry Gilbert to help uncover further information about his possible suspect. Okay. Gilbert found sealed police records that revealed Eberling had been arrested five years after Marilyn's murder for burglaries. Two of Marilyn's rings were found in his possession. It appeared Eberling had stolen them from a box of Marilyn's possessions stored in the house of one of Sam Shepard's brothers. In 1997, Sam Jr. and Gilbert filed a civil suit against the county for wrongful imprisonment of his father and to consider Eberling the real suspect. Yeah, he was in jail all that time. Eberling died in prison in 1998. The jury ultimately ruled that they were unconvinced of Sam Jr.'s claims. Dr. Shepard remained the likeliest suspect in the brutal murder of his own wife in the eyes of the law. Wow. Then on August 29th, 1967. Oh, the same day that on ABC... The Fugitive that's was what, on at 10 no, p.m. that's what I was just oh. going to talk about. <laughs> 78 million viewers tuned in to watch Dr. Richard Kimball of the hit TV series, The Fugitive, finally confront his wife's killer, the mysterious one-armed man. And that connects 
the TV, what's on TV with, with the real murder. And we the 1967 the series finale was one of the most watched television finales of all time and would later become the subject of a blockbuster Hollywood thriller starring Harrison Ford. Oh my God. Harrison it, Ford is a good looking man. Yep. Even at this age now, he's an older man. Wow. Yep. So that's the story of Sam Shepard. And- that was fabulous. I had no idea all those deets about that story. Yeah. That was a wild ride. Yeah. That was good. You did a good job. Well, it was all that's interesting.com did a really good oh, bang up all job that's on interesting. that. Com is a good website to read word for word from. That's right. <laughs> and we don't claim to be any sort of expert researchers. Or We're authors just of fun people regurgitating crap we found on the internet. That's right. In a fun okay. way while our dogs that's right. screw around. All right. All right. I'm going to burn through July. Okay. We're going to speed round. Finish. Can we take a speed round through it? Let me see how we can speed round through it. Okay. Okay. July 4th, meat and all other food rationing officially ends in Britain. Nine years after the end of the World War II. July 5th, singer Elvis Presley's first professional recording session with guitarist Scotty Moore and bass player Bill Black takes place at the Sam Phillips Memphis Recording Service in Memphis, Tennessee. The trio record four songs, including their historic cover of Arthur Big Boy Crudup's song, That's All Right. July 10th. American Major League Baseball outfielder Andre Dawson was born, and he went to Southwest Miami Senior High School, uh, home of the Eagles. Team colors purple and white. Notable alumni include Conan the Wrestler. Dawson's nickname was the the Hawk. And then the natural Butch Reed was born the next day in July 11th as a wrestler. Who cares about that? July 12th, President Eisenhower put forward a plan for an interstate highway system. Yep, that was his big achievement. That was a big deal. Yeah. And then it was again, it's still it's 117 degrees on July 14th in East St. Louis. Oh. It's 118 degrees in Warsaw and Union, Missouri. Do you know where that is? Being from Union, Missouri? Missouri. I feel like I do know where that is. And then on July 15th, it was 110 degrees in Balcony Falls, Virginia. July 20th, American tennis champion Maureen Connolly's right leg is crushed in a horse riding accident, Ouch. ending her brilliant career at just 19. Oh, the poor thing. She was horseback riding in San Diego. Uh, when a passing concrete mixer truck frightened her horse, Colonel Mary Boy, which pinned Connolly between the horse and the truck, she was thrown and suffered a compound fracture to her right fibula. Oh, man. And then on July 28th, on the waterfront, directed by Elia Kazan, mm-hmm. starring Marlon Brando, Eva Marie Saint, was released. Yes. Uh, Eva Marie Saint had a theater named after her at Bowling Green That's State right. University, where you and I both performed. Correct. Right? Yes. And then the last thing for July, July 29th, 1954, was the publication of Fellowship of the Ring, the first volume of The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh. Published by George Allen and Unwin in London. Did you know that was no. that early? 1954. I thought it was older than that, actually. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, The Hobbit was older than that. Oh, okay. That so was after that. And that concludes yes, it does. June and July of 1954. Well, we're in the garage. We're on our garage podcast studio in February. That's right. So I'm getting But cold. we're in the Carolinas, so it's pretty warm out here. It's not bad. I'm not cold at all because this hops land warms I'm you freezing. up. Anyway, thank you for listening. That was cool. This is a great episode. What Episode 176 could go Banging. down Banging. as a banging fucking episode. Right. You never know. All of you listeners who listened to this episode, if you liked it, bang somebody. <laughs> in honor of it all right okay all bang the closest person to you whoever Ch- it is bang them. get out of here Chuck. first Perry. person you see after this podcast ends you gotta bang are you finished <laughs>
Yep. Bang whoever that is. Bang whoever you see right now. Good night. Have a good one. Ego Trip is the greatest band of all time by their music.